You're now listening to a podcast of Revolution Church, located at 1702 6th Street in Portsmouth, Ohio. Revolution meets on Sunday evenings at 6.30 p.m. For more information, visit www.revolutionchurchohio.com or check out our Facebook page. I am excited. (laughs) So, um, I think maybe I see a couple of new people in here. Uh, What we're doing this evening is we are continuing through the series that we've been in for the last few months called Bible Stories. It's subtitled Christ in the Old Testament. And what we're doing is we're looking at the most famous Old Testament stories and passages and seeing how they all point forward to Jesus. The New Testament tells us Jesus himself says all scripture was about him or is about him and points to him. Uh, The New Testament also tells us that everything in the Old Testament was but a type and shadow of the one who was to come, who is Jesus. All right, so before I get into this, I just want to say we got a new bulb for the projector. Right, so it's not going to be going in and out the whole time. Amen? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Woo! That was the most charismatic this church has ever been. I just want to throw that out there. That was scary. Uh, anyway, just be quiet for the rest of the time you're here. Um, <laughs> so, like I said, this series that we're in, usually we're looking at uh, a bunch of different Bible stories. Um, but this week is going to be a little bit different for us. It's the same theme, same series, uh, because we're not going to be looking at a Bible story. Right? Usually we were looking at like, okay, what happened with Moses and the plagues and all that stuff. Uh, instead, this week we're going to be looking at a psalm. Right? And just throwing this out there, I have been terrified all week because I've never actually preached on a psalm in five years. So I'm a little bit nervous, but it's going to be good because God is sovereign. Um, so a psalm is literally a song. So here's your, like, even if, even if you don't pay attention to me for the rest of the time, here's your fact for the day. Uh, the English word psalm... Because right? if a psalm is a song, I always wondered why that we don't just call this the song book of the Bible. Um, the English word psalm comes from the Greek word for song. Right? I don't know if it's psalmos or psalmos. I don't know. I don't know how to read uh, Greek, at least. I know how to read English. Uh, <laughs> but the Hebrew word for song was translated psalmos or psalmos into Greek. And the name, whenever it was translated from Greek into English, just carried over as psalm. So that's why it's called the book of psalms. Right, so there's your fun fact for the evening. I thought that was really cool. Whatever, I have a mic and you don't, you're going to hear me. Um, right, but the book of Psalms uh, was essentially the hymn book of Israel in the Old Testament. Um, and it has a full range of emotions all throughout it. Right? In it, you'll see adoration for God. Uh, you'll see uh, the psalm writers being like very uh, joyful. Right? But then you also see incredible depression and darkness and sadness. You'll see the psalmists... Um, expressing confidence in God, and you'll see the psalmist expressing need for God, need for daily provision. Um, you'll, you'll read some psalms. Psalm 22 actually starts out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then other psalms again are just praising the Lord. Um, but the Hebrew, the Hebrew name for the book of psalms really tells us what it's all about. And I'm going to butcher this because I don't speak Hebrew, uh, but it's Tehillim. That means praises. That's actually what, what the Hebrew Bible calls this book. Right? And so this whole book and everything in it, everything that it is, regardless of the tone of the psalm or how sad it might sound or whatever, it's all really about giving praise to God for who he is and what he's done and what he promises to do. Right? So that's just a little overview of the book of Psalms. Uh, but this evening, uh, we are going to be looking at the most famous psalm in the Western church. Can you guess? 23. Yeah, one person said it. Thank you for the crowd participation. Maria? It sounded like Maria. No, Deborah. Thank you, Deborah. <laughs> anyway, right, but Psalm 23, right, the shepherd's psalm. I was actually quizzing people all week long to see if they had it memorized or not because most of us, if you grew up in church, most of us probably had to memorize it at some point. Right? Raise your hand if you had this memorized at one point in your life. That's what I'm talking about, right? What about, do you still have it memorized? 
Three people, thank you very much. Um, <laughs> no, it's good. Uh, but most of us have heard this at some time or another, even if you didn't grow up in church. Uh, you pro- you've probably heard it at funerals, or you've read it on the back of like funeral cards whenever you go there. Um, or a lot of times in movies, if there's like some renegade Roman Catholic guy who's like a vigilante, like he usually says something like the shepherd saw him before he shoots someone in the forehead. Um, like boondock saints, think like that. Uh, it's wild. But, uh, but this psalm that you've heard many times, it's, it's absolutely beautiful. Uh, gorgeous psalm. It's got beautiful imagery of God as a shepherd of his people. Which makes sense, because King David, who wrote this psalm uh, before becoming king, uh, he was a shepherd himself. So David understood the intimacy and care that a shepherd had towards his sheep and the protection that a shepherd gives his sheep and that sheep can't go anywhere or make it anywhere or do anything on their own, but they must have a shepherd. And David understands that. So as we look at this psalm, this evening, we're going to consider the many ways that God cares for his people. Um, and, and, and also, in, in doing that, we're going, to, we're going to see what present realities are actually ours in Christ. And, and what comforts we have in knowing him as our shepherd. Right? So if I give you a summary of the sermon, here's what it would be. So be looking for this. Jesus is the good shepherd who cares for, sustains, protects, leads, and loves the sheep. Until they make it home with him. Beautiful. With that being said, we're going to read Psalm 23. There's six verses, and we'll pray, and then we'll get into this. Psalm 23. A Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for that beautiful psalm expressing confidence in you as a shepherd. God, I know that there are people in this room who are not a part of your flock who are wandering far from you, but we know that the good shepherd searches out the lost and brings them into the fold. So, Father, as I address the comforts that the believer has in Christ as our good shepherd, I pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, woo the unbeliever into desiring this shepherd. Do a sovereign act of grace. Do something, please. And encourage the hearts of the believers that are here, that we might see you as you truly are and rest in who you are, and have full assurance that we are going to make it home with you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're, gonna, we're just going to break down this psalm line by line, right? So I'm going to do the best I can at this. We're going to break it down as best as I know how. And then we're going to see how that this whole thing points to Christ, right? Because that's a series we're in. And then we're going to see what this psalm calls us to do, to trust, and rejoice in. All right, so... That's what we're doing. Look at the psalm. How does it point to Christ? What does it call us to do? What does it call us to believe and trust? So David starts this psalm out, the Lord is my shepherd. Right? But what does it mean for the Lord to be shepherd? Well, a shepherd is a caregiver. 
right? Caregiver of the sheep. He feeds the sheep. He leads them. He protects them. He provides for them. Again, they, they, they can do nothing for themselves. He must do everything for them or they will perish. They will die. I love this imagery because this is the heart of God toward the Christian. This is the heart of God towards the believer. The, the, the word shepherd carries such connotations with it. It's a gentle term. I was reading uh, some commentaries about this psalm, and, and, and it made me laugh a little bit. The, the commentator that I was reading said, this is not a scary title like the other titles that God has. <laughs> right? Like, God is called an all-consuming fire. He is called a God of vengeance. A God of wrath. He's a God who strikes droves of people dead. He's called King of the Universe. That's terrifying. He's called the Judge of all mankind. That He will judge the living and the dead someday. That's terrifying. But yet towards the believer, He calls Himself a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Gentle, beautiful, like Father. Shepherd and Father. These are both gentle terms that God has towards the believer. This is His heart. But I'd like to make a note here. Uh, that does not negate God's wrath. Just because God is talked about as a shepherd does not negate His wrath. It does not negate His justice against sinners. It does not negate His holiness. Right? One, of the, one of the coolest things about God is that He's not one-dimensional like God's from a lot of false religions. Right? He is both shepherd and fire. He's an all-consuming fire and a shepherd. He is a father and a righteous judge. Now, I love that about God. He's not simple. He's not one-sided. Right? But... This is also good to note, the the side of God that the believer gets to see as a shepherd is reserved only for the believer, right? So I know that there are people here who who aren't Christians, who are not trusting Christ, who are not following Him, and I know that there are some people here, I'm sure, who, who would call themselves Christians, but indeed are not. The unbeliever is not a part of the flock of God. They, they are outside of the shepherd that is Christ. So really, the unbeliever only has the terror of God to face. The unbeliever only has that one side of God to face where he is an all-consuming fire and a righteous judge and a terrifying king. But hear me on this. If you're here and you're not a Christian, God is offering you by faith in his son who was crucified for sinners, who was the satisfaction for sin. He is offering you to partake in all of the things that I am going to talk to Christians about this evening. All right, so I'm just throwing this out there. This whole sermon is geared towards believers only. But if you're an unbeliever, God is offering everything that we're going to discuss to you by faith in Christ. But nevertheless, apart from Christ, if you're not a Christian, you're not a child of God. God himself says you are a child of God's wrath. All right, so just want to lay that out there. The shepherd's side is only for the believer. But in this first line... David uses some really, really personal language. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. He actually lays a claim to Yahweh. He lays a claim to the Lord himself, that the sheep can actually know the shepherd intimately and personally, and they love him. There's a closeness here. He is my shepherd. I claim him. And it's awesome to to consider this. God shows that kind of intimacy back. God actually shepherds. Hear me on this, Christian. God actually shepherds you. He shepherds the individual believer, not just the generic flock of God, but the individual believer. And you, how astounding is this, you can claim God as your own. You belong to Him, He belongs to you. You are His and He is yours. He actually cares about you. He actually knows you personally. Jesus says He knows the number of hairs on your head. 
Another psalm says that before you were born, God wrote out every day you would ever live in His book. He knows you deeply and intimately. And again, and this, this kind of made me laugh whenever I was, I was considering this. In saying that God is our shepherd, in saying the Lord is our shepherd, what are we intrinsically saying? I am a sheep, right? Now, I am not from the country. Right? Well, I'm from Minford, right? So, like, there's just a lot of Copenhagen and illiteracy. Um, <laughs> but, uh, so, but I don't know much about, like, farming or agriculture. My dad kind of makes fun of me sometimes because I don't know nothing about nothing, like cars, sports, nothing, anything that really makes you masculine. But I know the Bible, um, so kiss my grits. How, how's that for country, right? Um, right, but in, I'm sorry, that was stupid. Uh, it's on the podcast forever now. Um, but in, in saying uh, that the Lord is our shepherd, we are saying, I am a sheep. Now, if you don't know much about sheep, just know this. Sheep are dumb. Like, sheep are really, really dumb animals. They'll kill themselves on accident all the time. Sheep are dumb animals. They're weak animals. They get stuck a lot. They need a shepherd to come unstick them so they can get back on the path. They're weak. They're, they're dirty. Sheep are nasty. Right? They're dirty. They're needy. They're dependent. In saying the Lord is my shepherd, David is saying, I need a shepherd because I am a weak, dirty, stupid animal. I need someone to lead me. I need someone to take care of me. And this always makes me laugh. Some people think that they're mocking Christians and Christianity whenever they say that religion is for weak-minded people and for weak people. Yeah, dude, you are 100% right. Christianity is for the weak. You are completely correct. Right? This is the first step of becoming a Christian. The first step in faith is admitting that you are a weak sinner who deserves to go to hell and that you need a Savior and you need a shepherd to guide you. And you need that shepherd in Christ. Right? So what's beautiful about our weakness is that we glory in our weakness because God is glorified in it by being our shepherd. So don't be ashamed to admit your need for a shepherd. Right? But he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Now, when I was growing up in church, I thought, so we're not allowed to like, want anything? Like, that kind of sucks, right? And that also doesn't make any sense because we all want something, right? That's actually not what it means. The NIV actually has, and this is one of the few times I'll say this, the NIV actually has a pretty good solid translation on this. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. That's what that means. I, I shall not want. I shall not want anything now or later. I want for nothing. Because God is my shepherd, there will never be anything that I am in want for because he will provide for me. One of the commentators I was reading, he said, God will provide every good comfort to the Christian. Everything that will give us our eternal good. Every good comfort. But he will also provide every good cross. Every good comfort, every good cross. Every good part of suffering. So the Christian can say with the Lord as our shepherd, all things are for my good. That I lack nothing required for my eternal good. Even suffering is good for me because I know whatever comes to pass is for the glory of God and for the benefit of those who love Him and are called by Him according to His purposes. Martin Luther actually said this. Here's your funny quote for the evening. He said, uh, he said, if the Lord told me to go out and eat the dung off the street, I would because I know it would be good for me. Right? So, yeah, put that on your Facebook picture with a mountain in the background. Um, right? <laughs> And what is he saying there? Every good comfort, every good cross. He's saying even the suffering, I know my shepherd would not lead me into anything bad. So whatever comes and hits me in life, I know comes from this shepherd and I will lack nothing and he will see me through. 
Matthew Henry puts it this way. He says, I shall be supplied with whatever I need. And if I have not everything I desire, I may conclude it is either not fit for me or I shall have it in due time. That's what it means that I shall not want. So I know some people really wrestle with singleness and wonder, will I ever find a spouse? If I have not everything I desire, I may conclude it is either not fit for me to have or I shall have it in due time. Or if you're struggling with with wanting to have children and you can't, or you're struggling with finding a job and you can't seem to find one, or whatever it may be in your life, if you don't have it, it is either not fit for you to have or you will have it eventually because the Lord is my shepherd and I lack nothing. He will give me everything that I need. But God promises to take care of us in all areas. He is a sufficient shepherd. right? So don't feel, let, don't feel as if God has let you down if you don't have everything you desire because you have everything that you need. This, this I lack nothing is a present reality for the Christian. And please hear me on this. Don't be unbelieving whenever you hear these things. Scripture itself says that the believer lacks nothing. Don't be unbelieving in that. Because I know if you're like me, you read that and you probably scoff a little bit. Yeah, I lack nothing just because I'm a Christian. No, again, you have desires that are unfulfilled, but you actually lack nothing. Don't don't be a cynic. Receive the word by faith. Receive this scripture by trusting that it's true. Consider this. What else do we really need in the grand scheme of things outside of Jesus Christ? This life is not even a drop in the bucket of eternity. What do we really need apart from Christ? We have all that we need. There's a song that I like that says, If I have Christ and nothing else, I have everything. but But the rest of this psalm is David explaining how this first line is true. Right, so essentially he's saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Now let me show you how God cares for his people. Let me show you how he's cared for me. How I lack nothing and how good he is to the flock. How good he is to his sheep. David goes on and says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. David here brings out the imagery of God sustaining his people. Right, this is sustenance from God. Pasture equals food right, and water equals rest. Right? So we get rest and food from God. So David is telling us that God himself is the source of our provision, both physically and spiritually. Right? And we know this from Jesus' own mouth, that God promises to give us the daily provision that we need. Matthew chapter 6 says, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We're told to pursue righteous living, to pursue Christ, to pursue the Lord, and God will give us exactly what we need every day. And just hear me on this. If you have things, if you have needs, I get that. It's legitimate. But you're here, are you not? Can you look back at your life and ever say, God was unfaithful to give me what I need because you're still alive? You have had exactly what you've needed, though you may not have had all that you've desired because God's hand of providence has given it to you. James' letter in the New Testament says that every good and perfect gift, or every good and perfect thing is a gift from God. It comes down from God. So if we see that everything that we have every day is from the hand of God the Father, then we can genuinely say that God makes us to lay down in green pastures. Because it's all from Him. Right? So don't, don't fail to see that and be an ingrate. Whatever you have comes from His hand. Clearly, He has provided for us. But God not only cares for the believer physically... He feeds us spiritually as well. And I think that's more what David has in mind here, but I think both are present. 
But how does he feed us spiritually? By the word, by the scriptures. And please hear this. I really want you guys to get excited about reading the scriptures. Right? Because by the scriptures, we find the sustenance that we need spiritually every single day to persevere in the faith until we die or Christ returns. Apart from the scripture, you will not persevere. Apart from the word preached, the word sang, the word prayed, the word seen in the ordinances that we observe, and the word read, we will die. Just consider the scriptures here. Without the Bible, without the word of God, we would know that God exists because he's revealed that in creation. But we would not know him. We would know nothing about him. John Calvin says we are just groping around in the darkness until the scripture lights up the room around us. That's a heavy paraphrase, right? But we wouldn't know him. We wouldn't know the gospel apart from the scriptures, We wouldn't know the message that Christ was crucified on behalf of sinners. We wouldn't know how to live rightly in a way that pleases the Lord. We would not know his law. We would wither and die apart from the scriptures. Scripture is the strongest means of grace that God has given to his people. And you can argue it's it's, it's the only means of grace because all the other means of grace are really derivatives of scripture in some way, shape, or form. But God legitimately sustains us in the faith as we feed off of his word. And I know that that sounds weird and that sounds like kind of, it's a supernatural thing. I'm not going to deny that. It really is. God sustains us by his word. God communicates grace to us by the Holy Spirit as the Spirit illuminates the word to us and ministers to our spirit as we look into the Bible and meditate on what it says. I talked to someone this week about chewing the cud, right? Yeah, that's, I know, it's funny, right? It's like whenever a cow eats some grass and it goes down to the first stomach and they puke it back up into their mouth and they chew on it again and they swallow it and puke it back up and they keep chewing on it. What are they doing? They're trying to get all the nutrients they can. That's what it means to meditate on the word. When we just look at the scripture, we just wring it out for everything that we have. This is how God communicates grace to his people. All right, so now that you're sufficiently grossed out, know this, that God has provided green pastures that we need. He's provided a feast for you every single time that you open up the Bible. There's a feast for you, so go and eat. Don't undervalue the scripture because you'll die without it. Jesus himself said in Matthew 4, 4, he's tempted by Satan. He says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So if you want to spiritually starve to death and wither and die, don't read the Bible. I think it's essentially what he's saying. So God has provided food and rest for the believer by his word. And we must not neglect such a great grace given to us freely. But what about the times we do neglect God's grace? What about those times? What I mean mean by that is what about the times that we wander far away from God? We, we sang that first song today for a reason. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. How often do we wander? How often do we neglect the grace of God and go off into sin, thinking that it will satisfy us and sustain us better than the shepherd can, only to find out later that it did exactly what God would say it would do and lead us into misery? How often are we the wandering sheep? Every sheep is going to stray from time to time. Right? Actually, 1 John chapter 1 tells us that. Talking to Christians, he says, If any one of you says you have no sin, you're a liar, and you don't know God. We're all prone to wander. We're all prone to stray. Again, sheep are dumb animals. They get lost easily, and they don't find their way back on their own. They stray from the flock, and they die. 
unless the shepherd restores them. That's why verse 3 becomes so sweet to the believer. He restores my soul. Now, I used to think that that line went uh, with the the line immediately before he leads me beside the still waters. But I, I don't believe that. I think that what David has in mind with the shepherd motif that he's got going on here is that of a sheep wandering away from the shepherd and the shepherd bringing the sheep back. He restores my soul. If something needs restored, it has wandered. So quite like, like legitimately, David is saying, he takes my heart, he takes my soul, and brings it back to the path that I should have been on right beside him. This is a beautiful picture of grace. Right? How often are we the wandering sheep? Again, we are so prone to wander away from the Lord and into sin thinking that it would satisfy. This is a clear picture of us. But the Lord will not, hear me, the Lord will not have us away from himself for long. He won't have us from Himself for long. He will call us back to Himself and He will restore us though we have willingly wandered from Him. And sometimes He does this gently. Sometimes He does this as we hear the Word preached and as we read the Word and repent. He gently calls us to come back. But other times He does indeed restore us through discipline where He lets us eat some of the fruit of our sin and get our gut full and reap some of the consequences of our sin so that we come running back to Him for mercy, because we've seen just a, a, a foretaste of what the sin really is. And in doing that, there's actually, I thought this was just a preacher story, but this is actually a real thing. Uh, back in the day, whenever you were a shepherd, if your sheep continually kept running away from you, you'd snap its leg, right? And then you'd bind its leg back up, and you'd carry it. You'd carry it yourself until its leg was healed. And the shepherd created such a close bond with the sheep at that point that whenever the sheep was healed up and could run around, it did not want to wander far from the shepherd anymore because it loved him. That's what God does whenever he he restores us through discipline. Because listen, it's much better to let us reap some of the consequences for our sin for a time and restore us than to let us run off in our sin for the rest of our lives and perish in hell. But he's the good shepherd that restores our soul. And after restoring us, he continues to lead us. Again, he doesn't forsake us. He never ceases to give guidance to the sheep. David says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So the shepherd leads and the sheep follow him. And in doing that, God shows us the best way that we need to go. He shows us his commands. He does all this through the word. He shows us the way that honors him and is actually good for us to live, that promotes human flourishing and makes us holy and happy. He does it by the word. So again, the word is so important. Please read your Bibles. I'm, I'm serious. I know, like I say it a lot, kind of in jest, but like seriously, the word is so important. This is how he leads us. And it's good to note here because sometimes we have a really jacked view of the commands of God and the law of God. Whenever David says, you lead me in paths of righteousness, he views that kind of divine guidance as a blessing and not a burden. Right? There's a Hebrew word for, for command, and it's mitzvah. And in that, there comes a connotation of, not only is this a command, I am privileged to receive the command and privileged to walk in the command. That's what David has in mind here. You lead me in paths of righteousness, and it is a blessing. It's a blessing for the sheep to walk in his path. But I want you to notice something at the end of that. <laughs> this, this first staff, right? this first stanza... Notice why God does all of the feeding and leading and restoring and giving rest. For his name's sake. For his name's sake. 
for God's glory and for His praise. The Bible is really clear. This is why God does everything. Everything that happens is for the glory of God and the good of His people. So the fact that God leads us in paths of righteousness and restores us and everything else for His namesake, that might sound selfish to some of you, but hear me on this. There's beauty there. If God fed, cared for, restored, and led us for our own sake, what a terrible thought. Because there's nothing good in us. If he did it for our sake, he could give up. Because we are worthless, we are sinners, we wander from him willingly, and he would be just to give up on us if he led us for his namesake, or for our namesake. But if this grace is rooted in God himself and for his sake, then we have great confidence in our salvation. Why? Because the Bible tells us God is jealous for his glory and will receive it. He will receive praise. He will get glory in the salvation of weak, wandering, sinful, needy sheep like you and I. He will not fail to glorify himself. And if he does all of this for his name's sake, we know it's a sure bet for us. But I love this. Right, heading on into verse 4. I love how David paints this beautiful, tranquil picture of like a, a field and a river and a shepherd carrying a sheep, and it's awesome. Um, but then David gets real, real, real fast. Right? Verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Literally, the valley of the shadow of death in Hebrew is the valley of deep darkness. This is, it could be death. It could be whenever death is breathing down your neck and you know that you're not long for this world. But I think more than that, David has in mind the worst time of your entire life. Even though I walk in the midst of this pain, in the midst of this sickness, in the midst of this grief, maybe it's a dead spouse, dead friend, I don't know what, what it may be. And you can feel the hopelessness setting in. Because this is legitimately the worst time in your life. This is a valley where no money and no friends and no family, nothing can fix this situation. You are in utter darkness and you cannot see where you're going. You can't see your next step. You don't see the way out of the valley. You just know you're in it and the darkness is pressing in on you. And what does David say? In the midst of that, in the midst of that point of my life, I will not fear whatever befalls me. I will fear no evil, no bad thing that happens to me. So though all hell closes in on me, I will not stop walking because I remain unshaken. Why? For you are with me. The shepherd is with him. This is actually the structural center of the whole psalm. Which if you ever study the Psalms, whatever in Hebrew is the structural center often is the meaning of the whole psalm. It's the big point of the whole psalm. You are with me is the point of this psalm. God is right there with you. I don't know what people are going through, if, if anything. But God will not leave you nor forsake you. The good shepherd himself tells us that. It reminds us of the song we sing, When darkness hides his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. When we can't see him, we can still know he is indeed there with us. But David then goes on to say that, his, that God's rod and staff give him comfort in this valley. 
A rod is like a, a mace of sorts, right? It's a big club that you would beat predators away, wolves and bears and things like that. And the staff is a tool that you would use to, un, like if a sheep gets stuck in mire or mud, you would use this under the body of the sheep to pry it up out so that it could continue walking. David says these tools are a comfort for the sheep. So that the sheep cannot see the shepherd, the shepherd is indeed guiding and protecting them through the valley. And David has comfort in God's protection and preserving power. In the darkest day of his life, he knows that he will not fall away from grace in the valley. But then verse 5, the imagery changes. Changes from that of a shepherd to that of a host. And this is, this is, this is beautiful. So he comes out of the valley, and he says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. God is the host here. Let's consider this. God is the host. This is a picture of fellowship with the Lord, of intimacy with the Lord at his table. So the sheep is now an honored guest at the Lord's table. Right? We see oil. And he said, you anoint my head with oil. It was customary back then if you went and you were an honored guest at someone's home that they would just drench your forehead and even arms in oil and it would make you look good and it would make you smell good and it was a, it was a huge blessing for you. He said, and my cup overflows. If someone was an honored guest at your house, you would give them a cup and then you would take the pitcher of wine and pour until the cup just spilled over because in that you're saying, this is a spare, no expense thing. I am so glad you're here. My friend, I love you. My friend has come home with me. My friend, pull up a chair and eat with me. Consider that. The sheep is called a friend of the shepherd here. So if we have this fellowship with God in Jesus Christ, we ought not to merely count ourselves as dumb sheep, although we are that. But we can legitimately count ourselves as a friend of God, invited to dine with Him at His table. An unworthy sinner called a friend. One who was a blasphemer and a rebel against God, worshiping false gods, worshiping himself, is now called a friend of God. What mercy that that is. And no enemy of ours can shake this intimate fellowship and friendship that we have in Jesus. But based off what we've seen, right, the verses 2, 3, 4, and 5, David then concludes with this. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So because of God's shepherding, care, preservation, protection, friendship, David knows that the love of God will pursue him. It will follow me. God will run me down with love. He'll cross any ravine to get to me because he loves me and he counts me as a friend for some reason because he's gracious. He will run me down when I wander. He will protect me in the valley. His love will pursue me. I will never go a day without the love of God because he's merciful. And because of that, I shall dwell with Him forever. I will arrive safely home with God to worship Him forever in the life to come. So here's the big idea. If you're a Christian, you are going to make it home. And this might not be sweet to some of you. This is sweet to the ones who have wondered if they're going to make it to heaven. 
this doctrine is only sweet to those of you who know what a sinner you are and know how much you fail and know how much you deserve the wrath of God. To see in this psalm that you and I will make it home is grace unmeasured. And we know that God is going to lead us home because he does all of this for his glory. That's, that's the, the, the anchor of our hope. He does all of this for his name's sake. Do you see why this psalm is so popular? This is a psalm of confidence. Confidence in God. But what, what, in confidence for what? For the assurance of his care in this life and the hope of salvation in the life to come. I'm going to make it home. Because he sustains me. Nothing in me, but all in him. But how does this psalm point us to Jesus? Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 23. Yeah, you all thought we were going straight to the gospel of John, didn't you? Yeah, no, not yet. We're going there, though, don't worry. Ezekiel 34, 23. God, speaking through Ezekiel, says, And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. All right, now here's the funny thing. Whenever Ezekiel says this on God's behalf, David is dead. Right? So this is a messianic prophecy. This is talking about the one who is in the line of David. Funny enough, actually in some verses preceding this, God himself says, I will be my people's shepherd. So if God is going to be the shepherd of his people, and the son of David is going to be the shepherd of his people, this sounds a lot like Christ. Again, this is a messianic prophecy, a prophecy of the Messiah, Jesus, who will come in body to personally shepherd the flock of God. Right, so what I'm going to argue is that Psalm 23 is specifically about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's His psalm. Because Jesus applies this prophecy and title to Himself in, in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay my life down for the sheep. He's the good shepherd who knows his sheep. Just like the shepherd in Psalm 23, he intimately loves each individual sheep, and he cares for them, and he protects them. And he dies for them. This is no ordinary shepherd. No shepherd dies for sinful sheep. Imagine the worth of a human shepherd compared to that of an animal sheep. How much more the good shepherd, God the Son, and sinners. Why would he lay down his life for the sheep? Because he loves them. He lays down his life in order to shield them from the wrath that they deserve for their sin and to reconcile them to God and to bring them to God as perfect and clean. And by His death and resurrection, we're given everything in the 23rd Psalm. Christ purchased it for us. We have all of the care and provision in Psalm 23 because we are Christ's. He is the good shepherd and we are the sheep. So if you want to know what it means that the Lord is your shepherd, look to the visible image of the invisible God, Jesus Christ, who is the good shepherd. These things are ours. 
And if he did not withhold his own life from the sheep, surely he will not withhold any grace given to us in the 23rd Psalm. But remember, this psalm is about assurance and confidence that we're going to make it home with Christ. Assurance and confidence. Jesus says one of the most comforting things in the scriptures, John 10, 27, 28, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one, And no one, no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one. And they will not perish. No one can take us away. We belong to a shepherd with a perfect track record. He doesn't lose sheep ever. So we have a confidence in Christ that makes our hearts sing this psalm. Because indeed we are saved. Both in this life and in the life to come. Rock-solid assurance. So what do we do with this? i got three points of application for three different people. So we're going to blast through them real quick. Some things for you to consider and meditate on. One, are you following the shepherd? Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. So here's a legitimate question. Do you follow Jesus or have you just heard his voice? Do you strive for righteousness? Do you strive to please Him by faith, working out of a heart of gratitude? Have you heard His voice and follow Him, or have you merely heard His voice? The sheep don't stay in another fold saying, Heard you, chief, I'm going to stay over here for a while. No, they go into His fold and follow Him in paths of righteousness. But if you do, if you say you do follow the shepherd, I'm not here to doubt your assurance of salvation, right? Because that would kind of defeat the purpose of this whole sermon. But if you do indeed follow the shepherd, let me ask you this. In what area have you wandered and need to repent so that you can follow him in his path even more deeply? Because we all have one. Maybe maybe you you speak unkindly to your spouse. Maybe you just speak unkindly in general. Maybe you're selfish with your resources. Maybe you're selfish with your time. Maybe you've neglected the ministry of the word. Maybe you've neglected to evangelize. Maybe you have some kind of addiction, whatever it may be. We all have something and we all need to repent because we have the assurance that God restores the wanderer and he is gently calling you to himself to restore you now. But two, learn Christian contentment from this psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I lack nothing. We have all we need in Christ. This is a present reality. Believe it. Believe this. He will care for your daily needs. Jesus says we need only concern ourselves with His kingdom. And yes, that is easier said than done. Like I'm not going to front on that. Much easier said than done. But that does not make this any less true. It doesn't make it any less true. Pray that God would increase your faith. There's no shame in that. Pray that God would increase your faith. But I know we always don't feel like David did in this psalm. Right, But neither did David, if you've read the Psalms. David didn't always feel like this. I was reading a commentator. He said, there was only one 23rd Psalm. Right? We don't always feel like this. Some Psalms are sad and express worry, but they all still express a measure of faith. And that's beauty here. God honors that. Faith can walk in darkness. So you can trust your good shepherd. 
And know this too, the strength of your faith does not much matter. It is the object of your faith, Jesus Christ, that supremely matters. Trust Him. And then lastly, rejoice. Rejoice. We don't view this as much of a point of application because we're fools. Rejoice. By God's grace, we are making it home to be with the Lord Jesus. This is not just wishful thinking. This is a rock-solid promise from Jesus Christ Himself. The Lord has said it out of His own mouth. I don't lose sheep. He is the good shepherd and we are His sheep. Nothing can take us from Him. He will restore us when we stray. He'll restore us when we stray. He will sustain us by His Word. He will protect us in the valley. As the song says, no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from His hand till He returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I stand. We're His. Our salvation is sealed. It's written in stone. Because as we're all going to sing soon, my name is graven on His hand. My name is written on His heart. And I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. So rejoice in the God of your salvation. Rejoice in the good shepherd who laid down his life to secure your place with him forever. And know that we are going to make it there by his side. Let's pray. Father, you're good to us. You've given us a good shepherd in your son. Father, I pray that you would make these truths real to us. Help us to not be unbelieving, but to have faith that we might trust you more deeply and love you more deeply and see you as the caring father that you really are to us. Help us to own our weaknesses and run to you and know that you'll never cast us out because we belong to you. God, you'll never lead us into error. You lead us into righteousness. Help us to follow you. Thank you for the fact that blessings are ours in Christ and that we're going to make it home. And Holy Spirit, please bring an unbeliever here to faith in your Son. Woo them to Christ. Let them see his glory and beauty and love and draw them to him. Father, glorify yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.